Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Now, as I typically do to give us a better understanding of the parables or anything we're teaching in the Bible, if it's necessary to get clarity from the context, we go back and we pick up the context before we actually get into it. Because if you just read the Bible out of context, there's a chance you will miss the direction that that passage is trying to take you. So I'm going to back up just a little bit to see what inspired Jesus to share this parable of the unjust judge and the persistent widow. What conversation was going on? I go back to the previous chapter in Luke, be the 17th chapter, and I will quickly read this. It won't take me long to read it and make a very short comment on it. So you understand the setting of this parable. The 24th chapter of Matthew is an entire chapter that's devoted to a description of in time events, in time conditions in the world. Luke has a portion of that recorded in the 17th chapter, and it's not as detailed as what Matthew has, but this, here's this little extract where Matthew and uh, Luke agree on Jesus' description of the last days. According to Luke's record of this, Jesus said, the days are coming, and you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there or look here, and do not go, do not set off in pursuit, for the lightning flashes and lights up in the sky from one side to the other. So will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must endure much suffering and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so too will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, don't make anything significant out of the fact that they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. He was not describing wicked behavior. He was describing just normal, everyday behavior whenever the coming of the Son of Man surprised everybody because everything just seemed to be going along normal. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, everything's going along fine, but they are surprised by the sudden coming of the Son of Man. And then he uses another illustration. He says, likewise, just as in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, playing and building. Once again, normal activities. But on the day that Lot left Sodom, it rained fire and sulfur from heaven and destroyed all of them. It will be like that on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, anyone on the housetop who has belongings in the house must not come down to take them away. Likewise, anyone in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Those who try to make their life secure will lose it. Those who lose their life will keep it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed, 
and one will be taken and the other left. And there will be two women grinding at the meal together and one will be taken and the other left. And then they asked him, where, Lord? He said, where the corpse is, there will the vultures gather. Now, some translation says where the body is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And people have read that. And they think in terms of where the body is, Jesus Christ, there will the eagles, us, be gathered to him. But when you read what Luke said, he, he paints an entirely different picture. He says wherever the corpse is, there will vultures be gathered together, which is a description of basically what it'll be like at the Battle of Armageddon as they're gathering people together for that final battle just before Jesus returns with his saints and defeats the earthly enemies. Jesus gives them this very shocking revelation of what the end days are going to be like. That would have had to be emotionally challenging to his disciples who are already wondering from time to time, why are we following this man? And is it really wise to be subjecting ourselves to the challenges that come with trying to be a follower of him? And, and uh, he, he feeds information out to them little by little. You just can't take it all in one dose, you see. If the day he called them, he would have told them all this stuff, he wouldn't have gotten anybody. But as they follow him a while, then he begins to warn them, now there's going to come a time when the Son of Man will come, and this is going to be the world conditions. And them being now uh, probably uncertain about what are we really going to have to go through to follow this man. Then, in the next chapter, which there's no chapter breaks in the original manuscript. Luke didn't write with chapter and verse. We just did that to be able to find things conveniently. But after he had shared this about the end time events, they were shaken in their faith. They had to be shaken because Jesus addressed them not to be shaken in their faith. So it must have shook them. And he tried to calm them down. So he gives them this parable. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable. See, immediately after describing the end time events, then he told them a parable. Now that gives you the context of why we have this parable of the unjust judge and the persistent widow. Because his disciples needed to hear an encouraging word. And I think as we get into this parable, no matter what you think this parable is about, and I think most of you, I could guess what you think the parable is about, you're going to find out what it's really about, given the context. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. If you have a Bible you like to write in, you'll want to underline that. If you have notes, you'll want to kind of highlight that in your notes. Here's a clue. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And I will not, and will not God bring about 
justice for his chosen ones. Once again, there's a part you want to underline. Those who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So he ends the parable with this very powerful, challenging, piercing question. Now, first of all, let's look at the character of the judge. We have something to learn from both of these. The judge is described as a man that does not fear God and does not respect any person. And that is mentioned twice. Did you notice that in any time in Scripture when something is repeated, it's for emphasis. In other words, get this point. This man did not fear God. Now, anybody that doesn't fear God, you know there's spiritually there's something wrong going on here, right? Anybody who loves God fears him. And I don't want to throw you the word fear. Fear meaning deep respect, but also knowing that anytime you get out of line, you're at risk. God doesn't have to protect you. So you don't want to be out of line with God. But those who have no fear of God, they don't care. Or they don't believe, one of the two. They don't believe anything that happened to them. And has no respect of persons. He won't give anybody any special favors. And probably just simply didn't have a whole lot of respect for anybody anyways. You can take it either way. And do you find it interesting that when Jesus defined the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And, of course, mind, soul, and strength. And if there's any other commandment, he threw this one in for free. If there's any other commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Where does that leave this judge? The greatest commandment to love God, he didn't love God. And the second commandment, if there is any, love your neighbor, he didn't love his neighbor. This man was a total reprobate. He broke both of the biggies. Don't love God, don't love anybody. So that kind of gives you an idea of the nature of the judge. And then the judge keeps denying this woman justice. Why would he do this? People sometimes like to speculate about the judge's hesitancy to grant her petition. Some have suggested the judge was maybe just too lazy, just didn't want to be bothered with it. Some speculate that he, the case was too trivial for him to mess with. And he's got these big things to deal with as a judge. And this woman, maybe her case was petty, and he didn't want to deal with it. But there is a reason. Well, some speculate maybe he just didn't like women because women were not always as respected in that culture as the men were. So you've got the widow, who are often neglected, the women, who are uh, second-class citizens, and maybe you've got the uh, unimportant case coming before him. But the real reason why the judge denies this woman repeatedly is because it's Jesus' story, and he wanted him to. That's the only reason. Everything else is nothing but pure speculation. He just wanted his character to do that. So he did. And you can't make everything in this parable parallel something in the spiritual realm. Because obviously, 
God is not a person who has no respect for anybody like this judge is. God's not hard-hearted. And for whatever reason this judge kept denying the woman justice, God doesn't intentionally deny you justice. So the judge represents uh, God in a very limited sense, but not in every detail. You cannot, so if you ever struggle in trying to interpret the Bible, say, but, but how does this relate to God? How can he be like this judge? He's not. The only way in which he is like the judge is because Jesus said, if this old crusty judge can give justice, how much more can your pure, good, righteous, just, heavenly Father, you could be guaranteed he will give you justice. It's the only way. So God is not like the earthly judge, so he's not perturbed by your prayers. The judge was perturbed by the woman's petitions. So don't think that it's your duty, according to this parable, to pester God. That doesn't cross over in the application. God wants you to pray, but he's not pestered by your prayers. Number two, God won't put you off in bringing justice. He will move in his timing. And that's what you have to understand. God is interested in justice. It seems slow, but it's always perfect. So this parable is what we call, I'm going to throw a fancy word out at you, a fortiori argument. A fortiori argument. It's a phrase that means you use a strong argument as the basis for bolstering your weaker argument. An example might be if I said to you, your friend there, you think that he can build me a doghouse. And you say, Look, this man is a master carpenter. He has built million-dollar homes. Therefore, he can build you a doghouse. So they have relied on something that is fact. It's strong in order to convince you and comfort you. This is going to work. This is okay. We, we see a fortiori arguments used all the time in life when people say, I know this to be true. Therefore, I believe that to be true. Jesus used this same kind of logic, off or sure argument, when he said this. Remember whenever uh, he said, if your son asks you for a piece of bread, you won't give him a stone. Remember that? If you ask for a fish, you, uh, you won't give him a serpent. If you ask for an egg, you won't give him a scorpion. And so he made this argument that you are weak and, and wicked people and you still are very protective of your children and you're very concerned about their requests. Therefore, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to those that ask of him? That's an off or sure argument, going with one thing that they understand in order to further bolster the other argument. Well, that's what happened in this parable. This is an off or sure argument that if you can understand what the judge did, then let's take that and apply it to God, God being so much better, so much more superior, 
And understand, if even a wicked man to do this, your heavenly Father will do so much more. Now, Jesus did not use this parable in the context in which I told you this is set. He did not use this parable to teach us how to pester God until you get what you want. And I don't know how many times you have read this and how many times you may have come away thinking that Jesus told him himself, all you have to do is just keep pressing God and just pester him like that woman pestered the judge and pretty soon God's going to be so fed up with you bothering him day and night he's just going to give it to you to get you out of the way this is not a parable on how to get what you want those are extracts from this that are so far from the context what is it about it's first of all a point as Jesus started off teaching them you ought always to pray never faint that's one thing is don't get discouraged in praying to God number two God is a God of justice and he doesn't bring justice because you pray he brings justice because he is a just God God will always bring justice and if there's people on earth that do not pray for justice God still brings justice because you, can you imagine God saying well I would have brought justice except nobody prayed for it therefore he allows justice to prevail no not whatsoever God brings justice so what's all this praying about it's about getting you where you need to be so that you don't doubt God so you don't grow spiritually cold and discouraged you prayed and you may have been able to convince yourself in the back of your mind I know God's going to do right I know that everything's going to be turn out okay because God's in charge but in the meanwhile you get discouraged because the time is long before God's ready and then you quit praying and then you drop off and God still does what he's going to do because he always does what's right you're the one that got left out so this is about self-discipline don't quit God's not done yet and he didn't give us this parable to teach us how to manipulate God just remain faithful to the end just like Jesus was telling his disciples in view of the fact that some rough times are going to come and they didn't know when this was going to be they thought it could be in their lifetime rough times are going to come and he's telling them hang into the end keep on praying keep on trusting God God's going to win in this thing but you have to remain faithful and then he summarizes this parable at the end not by saying as some might mistakenly think he, he doesn't say whatever you believe if you believe hard enough and whatever you pray for long enough it's going to happen God will grant it all you have to do is just keep banging on his door now the summary that Jesus gave to this had nothing to do with writing your own meal ticket and then pestering God it's about bringing justice and remaining faithful until that justice is served that's what the judge is all about now the persistent widow and the lesson we learn from her is that God will in fact ensure guarantee justice will prevail 
Now, who isn't interested in justice anyway? We're disturbed by what we believe to be injustices we see around us every day. Every one of us, we see things we just don't think it's right. And oftentimes it has to do with us. That's not fair. How many of you ever said that? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Because you'd all raise your hand. That's not fair. Where'd you get at that idea? We read of criminals committing heinous crimes, and they get off with a light sentence. That's not fair. We see politicians breaking laws that would put you and I in jail. They don't get anything. They get a pay raise and move to another department. And we say, that's not fair. Had that been me, had that been you, that's not fair. We're born with this sense of fair play. God gave it to us. Now, I don't know how many of you have read the book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. It, it's one of his classic works. You know, C.S. Lewis was an atheist most of his life. And he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, got past his atheism, and became one of the greatest apologists for Christianity we've known in this day and age. He writes in this book, Mere Christianity, about this sense of fair play that it, God has planted inside of each one of us. And C.S. Lewis says, you know, when have you seen somebody and on the train says, somebody say, hey, you took my seat. Well, let's modernize that. You come into church, <laughs> you found out somebody sitting in your spot, you got it all wallered out, it fits you. Hey, you're sitting in my seat. Now, those of you who have been to Westside for a while know that we have a rule against that. We don't own any pews around here. I tell visitors when they come in, you sit anywhere you want to sit. And if anybody says anything to you, you come get me. Because we know we don't own anything around here. That makes our visitors feel like they can sit any place they want to sit, and that's just fine. But, but what, about, what is this about thinking somebody got mine? That's mine. And what's your response? Is your name on it? What makes you think it's yours? And C.S. Lewis uses the illustration uh, to double up on this. He said, some man's sitting next to you on the train eating an orange. And you're looking at them and say, hey, give me a slice of that orange. What makes you think you're entitled to his orange? Because you see somebody has and you have not. And you think it's only fair if you have and I have not that you share. It's this sense of fair play. We expect justice. We, we've got this innate sense of fair play makes us very sensitive to the appearances of injustice that are around us. And sometimes people blame God for the injustices, you see. I know personally of one man who professes to be an atheist, and part of his atheism comes from the argument that there are people in this world that are starving. And what kind of God would let that happen? It's an injustice that cannot be explained if there's an all-powerful God who has the ability to change that and make things better. So therefore, either he's some sort of, a, sort of a monster of a God or there is no God. So sometimes they just conveniently write God off. 
He doesn't exist, and the proof is that there's just too much pain and suffering in this world because the God they envisioned would never let that happen. Looking for justice. Some who are only superficially familiar with the Bible read the complete destruction of tribes and villages and cities in the Old Testament, and they say, God's not a just God. Why would he allow babies to be slaughtered like this? They think of the great flood, Noah's flood, and the, the little children, the little babies that, that were destroyed in that. And they think, what kind of God would do that? That's not a just God. In this parable, Jesus depicts this widow that goes before the heartless judge and demands justice against her adversary. We don't know the particulars of the case. It doesn't matter. He didn't give any further details for us. It wasn't necessary. He just wanted us to relate to this tension that's created in this story by this cruel, uncaring, unfeeling judge and something about a poor widow that somehow needs justice. Now, we can, uh, we can just kind of speculate for example, not because I'm suggesting this is what happened, but being a a widow in that culture, she probably wouldn't have a lot of people in her corner coming to her defense, protecting her, taking care of her. And so any injustice that came to her, perhaps the only little house, little acre left that when her husband died, that's all she had left, and somebody came along and just took it from her. And it would be an injustice. There's no indication anything like that happened. I'm just trying to get you to sympathize with some widow woman that something happened that was not just. It was not right. And she says, the only way I know to fix this is I'm going to go see the judge. And she goes and demands, I, I want this fixed. I want justice. I, I, this person who did this to me, I want this taken care of. I want it reversed. And the, and the judge won't even listen to the case, throws it out. She comes the next day, she comes the next day, she comes the next day. And the way Jesus described this is the judge finally says, if, if I don't give this woman what she wants, she's never going to get out of my way. And even in the version that I read, uh, it's translated that if I don't do what she wants, she's going to attack me. Now, it's possible that's the way it should have been translated, but the word that is used there uh, is to, to blacken the eye, and that's the reason the translators translated that. If she doesn't do this, she's going to attack me. She's going to black my eye. But there's an alternate possibility here that if he didn't get this woman out of the way, he, she was going to besmirch his reputation as a judge. Uh, not a literal black eye as much as a blackening his reputation, so to speak. Either way, it works, and that's okay. The judge just said, I, I don't want, she's in my way. She's, she's cramping my style. I have to do something. The, the widow is feisty. You got you to gotta hand it to her. And she refuses to allow this judge to casually dismiss her like she's a second-class citizen, like she's not important, like her little uh, issue, whether it's her house, land, whatever, it, it's, it, it's not important. Maybe somebody uh, 
cheated her on a, on a financial transaction and it was just pennies or dollars and the judge said, it's not worth my time. Whatever it is, she refused to let the judge just pass her by. And the judge repeats this thing about being a man that does not fear God. He says, even though I don't fear God, even though I don't respect people, and I find it interesting that Jesus framed this in such a fashion that the judge puts that up front. Just understand, what I'm getting ready to do here uh, doesn't mean that I've softened. Doesn't mean I still don't have any respect for God because I don't. And I, it doesn't mean I suddenly have respect for people because I don't. I just want to get rid of this pesky woman. So I said, even though I still don't fear God, I want to go on record, I still have no respect for persons. I have other motivations for answering this woman and giving her justice. So he did. He said, better off just to give her justice and we'll be done with this. Rather than spending the rest of my natural life here on earth being pestered by her day by day, I'll just give her what she wants. It's a fictitious story. But Jesus used it to point out that if a corrupt, heartless, earthly judge will ultimately bring justice, for whatever reason, it's not near that hard to get God to bring justice because he is a just God. He does it. He just does it. And if you've got things in your life that you feel like are lacking justice and you go to God and you say, God, when, when is justice going to come? That now is putting you in the place where Jesus wants to minister this truth to you. Don't quit. Don't get up. Don't get discouraged. God's a just God. That's what we have to leave this building today fully convinced in our hearts of this truth. You are serving the perfect, righteous, holy judge of all. He never lets injustice prevail. Justice always prevails with God. And I know sometimes you think it doesn't because life throws us a lot of curves. And it's easy to get discouraged when you think justice should be served, but it's not being served. It's easy to quit praying. It's easy just to say, well, God doesn't care. Justice is never going to happen. So I'm saying, you're sitting here today, and you've got things in your life, you've got situations in your life, where you're looking around saying, nobody else is dealing with this. Why me, God, is not fair. Because we, we think we deserve justice. We want justice. And Jesus shares this with his disciples as well as he intended for this to be shared with us. Don't give up. Don't quit praying. God is a God of justice. And he concludes this parable by asking this rhetorical question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? 
This ties the parable to the last part of the previous chapter when Jesus mentions his second coming. So that's the reason I say this parable is hot on the heels of the description of the end times. And he says, when, when the Son of Man comes, will there be faith on earth? In other words, what he's saying is, of course there'll be faith on earth. Will you still be faithful to the end? That's the way it just kind of translates. I may not be alive when Jesus comes. I might pass through the grave before I get to the other side. Or we might be the generation that's alive when Christ comes, but it doesn't make any difference. What it translates to is, will you remain faithful to the end or are you going to drop out? Are you going to get discouraged because it doesn't look like life is fair for you? Or are you going to hold on to the promise and the hope that God is a fair God? He always does what is right. What about you? What about your duration when Jesus returns? Is he going to find faith on earth? Of, of course he will. When Jesus returns or when the end of your life comes, will you be faithful at that time? Are you going to hang in there? The question is, if you're bouncing in and out of church now in your life, if you're playing games with God now in your life, if you're running hot and cold in your life now, what makes you think that you're going to be found faithful when the end comes for you? Are you just banking on the odds that God's going to come during one of your upswings? Hope he doesn't come when you're in that lull? The only way I can guarantee you, you're going to be found faithful. Will there be faith on earth? Will it be faith in you when the end comes for you, whether it's Christ coming or the end of your life? Is faithful every day. And you know, it takes, it takes this commitment for you to say, I'm going to live for God 24-7, 365 days a year. I'm just not going to take days off. I'm going to be faithful every day. That way, when the end comes, there'll be faith in you. You're not going to fall out. Don't let the injustices, seeming injustices of this life discourage you. The judge of all the earth, as he's described, the judge of all the earth will do right. You ever struggled in bitterness because you think God has allowed you to bear injustices? I want you to keep this in mind. Eternity balances the books. Because I can't guarantee you in this life, you're always going to see justice prevail. But I can guarantee you whatever God does not bring to justice in this world in your behalf or that you're aware of, whatever, everything balances in eternity. That's the reason we have this hope in serving God because you might make it through this life and, and things were not as fair for you as they looked like they were for somebody else. They had more than you. They had better health than you. They had more success than you. It just wasn't fair. But when you get to eternity, it all balances out. God has designed it that way. That's the reason we have to keep holding on in faith and don't give up. Would you bow your heads?